0: True crime fans, you've come to the right place and the right podcast. All rise with Diane Godfrey. I'm Diane's faithful companion on this podcast adventure. My name is Jordan Rich, Boston-area podcaster and broadcaster. And wow, do we have a superstar for you today as a special guest. Hank Phillippe Ryan is the USA Today best-selling author of 13 novels of suspense. She's also won multiple prestigious awards for her crime fiction. Hank was an on-air investigative reporter for Boston's WHDH-TV and has won, get this, 37 Emmys, 14 Edward Morrow Awards, and dozens of other honors for her amazing groundbreaking journalism. She's been called by the National Book Review a master at crafting suspenseful mysteries and a superb and gifted storyteller. Her newest book is Her Perfect Life, a chilling psychological standalone about fame, family, and revenge. And it's already getting rave reviews. Diane, Hank and I have worked in the same media market for a long time, and I can tell you she is so well-respected and a member of the Massachusetts Broadcasters Hall of Fame. So I'm ready to settle back, along with listeners all over the planet, to hear you converse with one of the best crime novelists out there. Take it away, Diane.
1: Hank Felipe Ryan, I am delighted that you're here. And right off the bat, this is not going to be, no one's going to be able to see this, but they can hear us. And I have to tell you, I love your hair. <laughs> right out of the gate. I love your hair.
2: Oh, that's so fun. Uh, you, all of your listeners can just imagine any hair they
1: want. Any, any hair <laughs> that fabulous. Diana It's fabulous. Yes,
2: it that's the hair I have. How nice of you.
1: Thank it you. It suits you. It's just awesome. But um, I know you from being a Bostonian and seeing you for many years on TV and the genesis of this, why I asked you to come on, is I have a neighbor, Peter Reynolds. He's a child book author. Of course. And sure, I know him well, of course. He said to me, Why don't you see if Hank can come on? And I said, Well, she's helped me, Hank, and she's an investigative reporter. He said, Ah, 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 ah. He said, She writes fiction crime novels oh, and I, you could have knocked me over with a feather where what, have i been i what, didn't get the memo well
0: let me jump in here because hank and i have done interviews in fact i think i've interviewed you and introduced you at various book events but no uh one of the most prolific and successful uh, boston-based true crime writers actually not true crime novelists and uh that i said of course uh, this makes perfect sense to tie all of this in together so i am equally thrilled But uh, why don't you begin with whatever questions you have for this amazing lady?
1: Well, okay. Um, First of all, it's it's a wonderful jumping point for me because I'm going to – I can't wait to read these books. And when I Googled you, you know, on Wikipedia as we all do, and I was in a good way getting dizzy from the the wonderful awards, multiple, multiple awards in every – like 37 Emmys, 14 Morrow Awards. And I know what an Emmy and a Morrow Award are, but there were even more that I'm not familiar with Anthony's, Daphne, and McCavity's. Wow. I don't <laughs> well, want to. Well, you know, those, the, the, the
2: Agatha, the Anthony, the Daphne, the McCavity, and the Mary Higgins Clark Awards are all, you can see, I want you viewers to imagine, but you can see Diana Jordan. On my shelf behind me are teapots. And those are the Agatha Awards for best mystery novel of the year, or best mystery short story of the year, and um, and best first novel of the year, and that. Those teapots represent best mystery because they're named after Agatha Christie. And what a joy to have this acclaim from the mystery reading and writing community, not only for my first novel, my first mystery, Primetime, but for several of my novels since then. And, you know, I remember as a little girl, I grew up in really rural Indiana. Uh, and we, I used to, my sister and I used to ride our ponies to the library. That's how, that's how rural it was. And we would get books out of the library and I would read up in the hayloft of the barn behind our house. And that's where I fell in love with storytelling, with mysteries. And I promise you this has a point because one of the books I, one of the authors I loved as a teenager and still do was Agatha Christie. Um, I fell in love with mystery writing, reading Murder on the Orient Express. I think I was about 12 when I read it, and I remember thinking, what a good story. How did she do that? How did she pull off that surprise ending? And I have adored Agatha Christie ever since, and then to grow up and win these awards named for her, Mm. my
1: idol as an author, is just a wonderful full circle story. Well, you know, that's a lead into a question I had. I thought I'd ask it later in the podcast, but how in heaven's name, I am so impressed. How do you even think up? Because you've, made, how many books have you written? I just sent in
2: book 14. I mean, like two days ago, <laughs> I sent in book 14, which is entitled, this is breaking news for you all. I don't think this is really public. It's called The House Guest, and it's a twisty, turny, psychological, domestic suspense, sort of a combination of uh, strangers on a train and Mm. the undoing, that kind of big little So
0: the question is a good one. And and I think I've posed this to people like you, uh, you know, the ideas, where do they come from? They say, write what you know. So that's obvious with all the experience you've had in the real world. But where do the ideas generally come from today?
2: You know, that's such a magical question. Even Sue Grafton used to call that question, asking about the magic. Where do ideas come from? I mean, we all know the moment when we have a good idea. It's one of those sort of blink reflexes where you think, oh, yeah, that's, that's going to work. And you sort of get goosebumps when, when you think of it. I mean, I, I agree with write what you know, but I also think write what you fear. You know, my books come out of the possibility of what might happen to any of us, any day, in any situation, what is the worst possible thing that could happen on an ordinary day? What is the worst possible thing that could happen in your relationship or with your friends or with your goals? You know, crime fiction is all about the, the huge and dangerous obstacles that arrive as our everyday lives go on. And as a reporter, I've you know, I've, I had been a reporter for golly, 30 some years when I started writing fiction. So think of, you know, I've wired myself with hidden cameras and confronted corrupt politicians and gone undercover and in disguise. You know, all those experiences that I've had as a reporter, I've seen what can go wrong. I've seen what can happen in all of our lives. And I, I, quickly, I can tell you, and we can talk about this more if you like um, Her Perfect Life, my current book, which was just nominated for the Agatha for Best Novel of the Year. So, hooray, that would that's amazing, Um, came out of a scary situation that happened in my own life. And we can talk about that if you like. But it's not, my books, my novels are not my TV investigative reporting stories made into fiction. They're not that at all. But they are sort of an amalgam, a composite of now 43 years of being a reporter. um, And all those twisty, turny, little psychological dangerous things that happen along the way. All those possibilities, all of those things are woven into my novels.
1: Now, it sounds like you're super busy, but I have to ask, we are located in the Boston, Massachusetts area. Do you ever teach? Do you ever go over to Grub Street and and, and offer a course on fiction mystery writing or... I teach all the time, Diane, and that is a wonderful
2: question. I'm actually an adjunct professor at Drexel University in Philadelphia, and I teach commercial fiction. I also constantly teach seminars in creative writing and uh, suspense writing, and you can find all of that on my website, um, it There's nothing more rewarding than reading someone's new manuscript and seeing that talent and, you know, people helped me along the way and still help me now um, to create a better novel. It's all about challenging oneself. It's all about learning. It's all about being better. It's all about making your book more twisty and more suspenseful and more compelling. You know, I want people to, I always say when people, I want people reading my books to miss their stop on the T. (laughs) <laughs> when they when they're reading my books cuz they just can they just can't put it down. So that's what I teach is suspense and
1: commercial fiction and I truly enjoy it. Okay, that's a good piece of information if people were interested in, you know, taking oh, yes. a course. Um now I'm not trying to invade your personal space at all, but I this question by coincidence from me being in the courthouse for years, I know your husband, he's a defense attorney and he's delightful and we've done many cases together. And do you think that has any, you know, pull and push like bounce ideas off him because he's in that arena or is that just not so?
2: That's such a good question and so on the money. You know, it's I, I am so lucky to be married to my husband, Jonathan Shapiro. He's the greatest, most benevolent, best lawyer, best defense attorney, civil rights attorney that ever lived. You know, just my just my opinion. Well,
1: I'll second um, that. Because Aww. I've seen him in action, he's deli- yeah. he's wonderful. You're a
0: fan, yeah.
2: It's so funny. He's you know he's so sweet in real life, but wow, you don't want to be <laughs> cross examined by him. Let me tell you. Anyway, um, what a combination of the two of us. I have to say, because it is amazing to have in-house counsel for me as a crime fiction author to be able to say to my husband, sweetheart, could you look at this and see if this is correct? What would a judge really say? What would a detective really say? What would be the courtroom procedure? What is the law in this particular case? How can I get this person out of being in trouble or how can I get them in trouble? Um, And so that's one of the reasons my books are so authentic. My book, The Murder List, Um, which actually won the Anthony Award for Best Novel of the Year. That's an international thriller writing award. Um, The murder list is based on the real murder list here in Massachusetts, the list of lawyers who are experienced enough and um, actually benevolent enough to be appointed by the state to represent murder defendants who cannot afford a good lawyer. Um, and John, this is the murder list is the list of those lawyers. And Jonathan is on the murder list here in Massachusetts. Um, and I, when I heard that it, that they call it the murder list, I thought, oh, that's a good title. So you ask where I'm, my ideas come from. And that's one of the places I hear the murder list. And I think, ooh, what could that story be about? And from that mm. grew this legal thriller, which was the number one legal thriller on Amazon, which was um, is a, it's a a law student married to a defense attorney who's working for the prosecutor. And you can see how that triangle would just have some possibilities for trouble. And that's the murder list. So um, I love to write about justice. I love to write about the justice system, legal justice, personal justice, ethical justice, moral justice, philosophical justice. What does that mean? What is truth? Um, And being married to Jonathan and having being in that world of being a reporter and connected to a lawyer, there could be no better combination for a
1: crime fiction writer. Have any of these been made into movies yet? I bet you that's around the corner.
2: Well, do you know anybody who'd like
1: to make a movie? (laughs) No, but I, I can just see where this is going. This is fabulous. you
2: know when you say that that sentence that you just said is the best thing that i've ever heard when you say i can just see that Mm. and that's what exactly what i'm going for in my novels is to make them be as cinematic as they possibly can i want my readers to have a movie in their mind of what's happening in these books and i really think that all my years as a reporter working with video uh, has helped me to be able to craft a novel that's very visual, that's very cinematic, that takes you there. Um, and so I write my books to be books. You know, when they're made into movies or, or TV series, that's, a, that's a, another kind of person who takes your work and makes it into something completely different, and every author whose book gets made into a film or TV series says, "Here, you know, yes, you can have this novel, Uh, And you do what you want with it, but it is always changed. They are always different. So Mm. I'm very, it'd be fun. It'd be great. I hope it might be terrible. You know, you've heard of people whose books have been made into videos and films and they're not good. And then you think, oh my golly, it ruined the book. So I'm thrilled and delighted to have these novels that people can read and create the movies in their mind about them. You know, Sue Grafton said she would never... Have her books made into movies because she didn't want she didn't want Hollywood to ruin them. So yeah. I write for readers, and if some if people in Hollywood are readers, I'm happy to talk to them about it. So we'll see. But I'm happy with it the way it is.
0: I just have one question for you: in the 14 books, and there's many more out there to come. Have you noticed uh, the audience becoming more uh, aware of? true crime information because of the documentaries, because of podcasts like this? In other words, have you noticed a more sophisticated audience as they read book to book because of what we are subjected to and all the media that focuses on these issues?
2: I think readers who, I think thriller readers, mystery readers, suspense readers are, are basically very, very wise and savvy to begin with. The idea, the reason that a person would love to read a police procedural a detective novel is to find out is because they love to be immersed in how those crimes are solved. And one of the things I love about true crime podcasts, and I am and, and I embrace them, is uh, delving into those sources and methods and ideas and the thought processes and the philo- philosophical discussions um, and the possibilities and the clues that the, that the that the investigators have. So I think crime fiction readers love that. And I, as, a, as an investigative reporter, think about how many true crime cases I've covered. Think about how much I've been immersed, not only in the cases, but in the solutions to the cases, how, how, how much I've worked on them. I mean, I've had people confess to murder to me. I've had people who are convicted of murder insist that they're not guilty. You know, I have talked to prisoners and people who have lied. And I know how, what people look like when they lie, that kind of thing. So my insight into that gives my novels also, also authenticity. So I embrace true crime. I mean, my book, actually my book, Trust Me, is about true crime. It's about a true crime writer who is covering a murder trial and realizes that there's no way for her to really know what truth is. Is it what the defense attorney says? Is it what the prosecutor says? Or is it some, is, is it what really happened? Is there a true truth? And on the cover of my book, Trust Me, it says there are three sides to every story, yours, mine, and the truth. And I, you know, because I, I was thinking about, you know, the classic true crime narrative nonfiction in Cold Blood. And I thought, how did Tr- Truman Capote write that? He he didn't talk to the Clutter family. He doesn't know exactly what happened in that home that day. He talked to the two men who were convicted of the crime and he heard the story from their point of view. And he interviewed people also who weren't there. And he put together a story that became the truth, right? That in cold blood became what happened. That became history for us. And every true crime writer carries that burden that what the story they write is the truth. And in my book Trust Me, that's what the that's what the main character, Mercer Hennessy, realizes that she's now creating history and what a burden that is because what if she's wrong? So I'm fascinated by that.
1: I have to ask this. Do you ever get writer's block ever? <laughs> it doesn't you sound know, like it.
2: <laughs> um I I have to say that I don't believe in writer's block. Really? I just think that I don't think that's a thing. Really, I have to say, I think writer's block is fear. I think when when there are days when all of us, no matter what we do, have a moment of thinking, "Oh my golly, I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know what to write. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I, what, how am I going to find this out?" And if we let that fear spiral, our brains just seize up, and we 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 are, we are our self fulfilling prophecy of that we can't do it. And so I just don't allow writer's block. I just don't allow it. I mean, two things about this. One, think about it. I've been a television reporter for 43 years. What if I went to my news director and said, you know, can I be on the six o'clock news at 10 after six? Cause I'm, I'm just not feeling the muse <laughs> right now, right? How long would I have lasted? So. I know my deadlines. I know what I have to do. I have to write a book that's due on a certain day and I better get it done because I'm the only one who's in charge of it. And there are days that I think, I'm sitting at this very desk where I'm talking to you right now and there are days that I think, I have no idea. This is the worst (laughs) thing that anybody has ever written. Oh my golly, this sentence stinks. And then I think, yeah, it's pretty bad. Let's just write another one. Just keep writing another one and write another one. And so I just let it go. It's not a test it's not a quiz. Nobody's going to see it. I can fix it later. It can be terrible right now and be wonderful tomorrow. And I have just learned just to go on. I know there are people who really feel writer's block, but I my message to them would be, don't be afraid. Just write something and fix it later.
1: For all your books that you wrote, what's your personal favorite and why?
2: Ha! Not going to answer that.
1: Here's (laughs) why.
2: It's like picking your
0: favorite kid. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's
2: exactly right. I mean, here's the serious answer to that. Every book I write is the best book I can possibly write at the time. Every book gets 100% of all of the skill and all of the focus and all of the storytelling capability that I can possibly muster each time. But also, as I'm writing the books, I'm thinking how can I make this book better, bigger than the last one? I learn along the way. Of course we learn along the way. I love my first book, Primetime. That was my first book. It won the Agatha for Best First Novel. It's changed my life, that book, Primetime, about secret messages in computer spam. That's what Primetime is about. Um, but is my my newest book that I just sent in, The Houseguest, is that better is that better than primetime? It's a different book from primetime. My book that's out right now, Her Perfect Life, you know I was I, I started crying when I when that book was finished because I thought this is so good. this is mm. the best thing I've ever written. but I cry at the end of every book because there's this moment of finishing where you think I've worked on this for a year and here it is, you know, when I, I know that I'm finished with a novel is when I'm editing and editing and editing and editing. And at one point in the editing, I realize I'm not working on the book anymore. I'm just reading it. And I forget <laughs> that I wrote it. I forget that I wrote it. Wow. I'm just reading it. And I think, okay, I'm done. And that, I mean, I get goosebumps even telling you about that now because that, that, is, that is quite that is quite an amazing moment. But the books are all very personal. You know, I was saying about how her perfect life came from something scary that happened to me. Um, And her perfect life is about fame and family and guilt and revenge and the price of being a public figure, the price Mm -hmm. of being in the spotlight. I mean, you all know this. And it came from when I was a reporter in Atlanta in the 80s. And I was anchoring the weekend news in Atlanta. And I came home after having been live on television, turned the corner down my little street in Atlanta. And my street was filled with police cars, just blue lights swirling and, and police cruisers everywhere. And I thought, ooh, you know, crime. Maybe I've latched onto a good story in my neighborhood. And it turns out that the police cars were at my house. And the blue lights were at my house. So I leaped out of my car and I leaped, you know, ran over to the police officers. And I said, what's going on? That's my house. And the, and the police officer said, yeah, I know. And I said, um, I said, I'm Hank from Channel Two. And he said, yeah, I know who you are. And I said, well, what happened? And he said, we caught a guy inside your house. He had broken into your house. He's in the, in the back seat of the cruiser now, there he is. And I said, are you kidding me? What happened? And he said, he knew you were live on the news and he knew you weren't home. And as long as the newscast was on, he knew where you were and that you wouldn't interrupt him breaking into your house. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, he knew where I was, so he knew where I wasn't. Wow. Right? And you don't think about that. No. And so that has haunted me ever since because I thought, what if, he, what, if he, what if there had been something in my house, a secret thing that he found or saw that I had, that I had figured no one would ever right. see right. or find, and then he had one of my secrets, and what would I do? How do you protect a secret when you're always in the spotlight? And that is exactly what Her Perfect Life is about. That idea, you know, when I was, when I was first a reporter, Um, golly, this was 1976 in Indianapolis, a television reporter. And I was doing my laundry in the laundromat. That's how glamorous my life is, you know, (laughs) doing my laundry in the laundromat. And a person came up to me and said, aren't you Hank from Channel 13? And I said, well, yeah. And she said, oh, I have a good story for you. Let me tell you all about it. And part of me thought, great. You know, this could be the next Watergate. I want to hear it. I'm a reporter. The other part of me thought, Can you just call me at my office? You know, I'm, I'm trying to do Mm. my laundry here. Mm. Um, And when I got back to my apartment, I called my mom and I was whining. I will confess to you that I was whining and I said, mom, can you believe it? This person came up to me at the laundromat and she wants to tell me a story. And my mother says, listen, kiddo, you chose the spotlight. Welcome to the spotlight. And she said, and I never wanna hear you complain about that again. And isn't that wise? And that's what this book is about, Her Perfect Life, because sure, I chose the spotlight, but my family didn't choose the spotlight. And Lily Atwood, the main character in the novel, she's a famous television reporter, more famous than I will ever be. She chose the spotlight, and she understands how to deal with it, but her seven-year-old daughter didn't choose the spotlight. And what danger could that put her daughter in with Lily Atwood's spot, being in Lily Atwood?
0: You know, if I can spotlight. just- So it just, that
2: fame and the price of fame and celebrity-
0: Tie, tie Diane this, on this because your story about your own experience with crime, upfront and personal, I think has made you uh, a more prescient, aware- reporter on what crime really has in terms of impact. And Diane sees it every day in the courtroom, right, Diane? Yes. The victims and what goes through people's heads and oh, the sure. trauma that, I mean, I'm not suggesting that you're traumatized for life every day, but it has to have an impact when you're writing these thrilling novels to, to know what it feels like to be that fearful. To know what it feels like to be on the receiving end. Well,
2: you know, I I wonder if it's aware is more than fearful. It's funny. Jonathan and I, my husband and I, have this funny exchange a lot. When He'll leave the house and I'll say, be careful, sweetheart. And he'll say, be careful of what? You know, because I can come up with all the possibilities of all the terrible (laughs) things that could possibly happen to him when he goes out of the door and he's he doesn't he's not fearful, you know, he's confident about it. So as a television reporter and as a crime fiction author, my job is to figure out what terrible thing might be happening. Right. I'm looking for that. I'm trying to prevent it or understand it. And so as you exactly as you're saying, my antenna are up for that. And that has served me well as a reporter and has also served me well uh,
1: as a fiction writer. So your first book, to recap, Prime Time, what year was that? <laughs> I think it was
2: 2005, if I am right.
1: That must have been so such an exciting time, your first book published. You must have just been over the moon. What a lovely experience that must have been.
2: Well, I have to tell you, you know, um, I'd always thought about writing mysteries since I was a little girl, but I— It's interesting that I thought it might be better, you know, back when I was 11 or 12, it might be cooler to be Sherlock Holmes than it would be to write about Sherlock Holmes. But I got, golly, in whatever year that was, 2005 or six, I just had a good idea for a novel. I, I just, it was secret messages in computer span. And I thought, this is a good idea for a murder mystery. Could you do that? Leave secret messages in computer spam, That those, those emails that you absolutely um, ignore. What hmm. if there was something, what was there if there was a message, if you knew what to look for, if you knew what the code was, if you knew what it meant, wouldn't that be a great way to exchange secret information? And I came home that night and I said to my husband, um, sweetheart, I've got a great idea for a mystery. I'm going to write a novel. And Jonathan says, Great, honey. (laughs) He says, do you you know how to write a book? And I said, how hard can it be? You know, I've read a million of these. Um, (laughs) And that was a ridiculously naive thing to say, of course. I had no idea how hard it could be. It was incredibly hard. But I was so passionate and so obsessed. And I worked every night and every weekend. I didn't take a vacation for a year. All I did was write to create this book that turned out to be prime time, my very first novel. So. Yeah, it was, I I think about that now, even when I see the cover of the book, I think, oh, that's so nice. And how life-changing it was, and how I am the poster child for following your dreams at midlife. I I wrote that book when I was 55, you know, at a time when you might think, oh, she's had a great life, she has all these Emmys, it's all good, she's had a wonderful career, why does she need to do something else? And for any of your listeners who are thinking, oh, it's too late for me to do the thing, You know, I am proof that it is never too late to do the thing.
0: I was just going to add your output. Let's see, 14 books in less than 20 years. That's a lot of writing and a lot of deadline work. Uh, But you probably, I'm guessing, work better. Some of us work better when there is a deadline. Am I right?
2: Oh, I oh I have to have a deadline. Yeah. If I don't have a deadline, if I don't have a deadline, two things: either I don't do it, or I make one for myself because I know my own limitations. Right. So, you know, at writing a novel is is not like having to put a story on for the six o'clock news. But on the other hand, I have a contract now for every novel, and people in New York. The editors and the copy editors and the proofreaders and the typesetters and the, and the cover designers and the binders and the, the, the sales staff and the advertising people, they're all waiting for my book. So if I'm late, their entire schedule is up in the air. So I, it's my responsibility to do what I do and provide my work on time so that the whole system can work so that you can get my book.
1: I have to ask, is it Doubleday or Simon & Schuster or what?
2: It's Forge, which is part of Macmillan, Macmillan Uh, Publishing, one of the big five publishers. Forge, F-O-R-G-E? Forge Books, which is a subsidiary of Macmillan Publishing
0: i got to say, I mean, I've known Hank uh, professionally for many, many years. We, we work in the same market, and some of the stories you covered were the most heinous, gruesome crimes or crimes of passion or crimes of corruption. You have a un- working knowledge of the human psyche, I think, as well as anybody I've ever met. And is uh, not it lovely that you can you can take some of that experience and create stories that entertain? It's weird, but the evil, the bad stuff, the corruption, uh, there's always a, ha- I don't say happy ending, but there's always a resolution. And I think that's what readers of your books want. They want the good guys to sort of win.
2: <laughs> it's, well, you know, that's really wise because, I, you know, one of the things that's so interesting about having had all these years as an investigative reporter is you realize how similar – Um, creating an investigative news story is to writing uh, a crime fiction story like I do a thriller a novel of suspense Um, because you have a character who you care about at the outset you have an important problem that needs to be solved you're tracking down clues and following leads and doing research you want the good guys to win just as you say you want the good guys to win and the bad guys to get what's coming to them and in the end You want some justice and you want to change the world a little bit. And whether it's investigative reporting or whether it's crime fiction, those things are exactly the same. That rhythm is the same, the music is the same, the goals are the same. Of course, in crime fiction, I get to make stuff up, you know, which is one of the things that I wondered if I could do. One of the challenges in writing fiction was I thought about, I had spent the last 30 some years only telling the truth as I could as I could figure it out the people who you know the dialogue was only what people actually said the setting was only where I really was the facts were only what they really were from documents and research and interviews so it was all true so I remember one of those first days sitting here looking at the sugar maple out my window (laughs) sitting at this desk thinking I'm just gonna make something up I, I wonder if I can do that I wondered if my imagination would let me do that. And it was really a joy to learn, um, really a joy to learn that I had stories to tell that were whole new worlds, that had never been invented yet. People who had never been invented yet. The people in my novels are not people in real life made into fiction. It's just not that. It's just a tiny little bit of this and a tiny little bit of that, like a Rubik's cube and you go and move all the puzzle pieces around until you get a completely new, and surprising picture. And Jordan, what you were, to your point, what you were saying so wisely, is I think that people who read crime fiction want the adventure, they want the puzzle, they want the twists and turns and surprises. They wanna say, oh, I never saw that coming. You know, oh, I can't believe that's the end. Are you kidding me? That's, ah, what a surprise. And we can talk about that more in a minute. But they also want that satisfaction, that resolution, that finality, um, that what should have happened, happened. That it was surprising, yes, but inevitable and fair. And unlike the rest of the world, which is completely crazy and unpredictable and unreliable and um, disturbing a lot of the time, in a novel, I can create a story for you where it works out the way it should work out. Now how that is, I don't always know because I never know the ending of my novels until I write them. So when people say, wow, the end of her perfect life, you really surprised me. I'm like, yeah, wasn't that a surprise? Who'd have thought that would happen? (laughs) Because I don't know what's happening next until I write the next sentence or the next paragraph or the the next scene, I don't know. So that's what gets me to the computer here every day is I can't wait to see what happens. And I hope that that kind of, obsession with the story carries over to my readers.
1: Well, it sounds like it was a seamless transition and it sounds like it's fun because all of a sudden you don't have to go back and fa- check the facts. You can just <laughs> use your imagination. Well, you know, you, you're exactly right, except
2: when you're writing a book, it's 100,000 words. It's 100,000 words. And so you have to go back. The, the reality of the novel has to be as true for itself as the reality of the real world, mm. right? So, if somebody has blue eyes on page one, they better have blue eyes, you know, on page three hundred. Or if their building is brick on page one, it better be brick on page three hundred. So. All the facts of the book have to have the same continuity. So there's still a lot of research and there's super editing and super continuity checking and super copy editing and all those kinds of things to make sure the story has no holes in it. But yeah, if I want to change somebody's name, boop, I can just change their name. If they're no longer from Indianapolis, but now they're from Baltimore, okay, that can, that can work. Or oops, that dog is now a cat. So I, I, in my book, The Murder List, actually, I wrote a whole first draft and realized that one of the characters who was a man in the first draft should really be a woman. And I rewrote the whole book with her as a woman. So, yeah, so that's what you can do. That's what you can do in fiction um,
1: if you're brave.
0: Indeed. And uh, Diane and I were just tossing notes to each other. You had a question about how long it takes to write one of these subjects. From A to
1: Z, from the inception <laughs> of day one, when you sit down to embark upon a new book and from the very end, when you submit it, how long, is that like a year or it sounds like it would be less than a year from? Well,
2: I'm I'm happily, delightedly have a contract with Forge Books. So I know that, for instance, my next book is, um, will be due November the 1st of 20, what is this year? November the 1st of 2022. That, that's when the book is due. So that means I should be writing it, right, right. this very second.
0: And we're keeping um, you from that, but sorry yeah. about that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I know how long I, ha- and on November the 1st, I have to send that book to my editor. So I have from now, whatever day this is, until November the 1st to finish a really solid, usable, good, gripping, finished first draft of the novel. So after that many months, however many that is, I send that to my wonderful editor in New York, Kristen. Kristen reads it, digests it, gives me her changes, her ideas, her thoughts, her philosophy. She's, you know, we're a team. She sends me back what's called an edit letter with her suggestions. I redo the novel, tweak and polish and change and fix, and send it back to her again. And then she sends it back to me again. So it's a process. So now we're into December. Um, and as I said, I just finished book 14, which is on the same schedule. I just finished book 14 a couple days ago. Mm. So it takes a solid, you know, 12, you know, 14 months. This is me doing math. 14 months or so to get the final, final polished version of the book. And then that won't be out until January of
0: 2023. Right. I'd like to, uh, uh, commemorate this with a brand new award. I'm going to make it up. It's called the Golden <laughs> Sharpie Award. And what that means is I've I've been to book signings with you, and uh, you're so happy to meet the fans and so happy to sign books. And I think that's what I love about uh, successful authors who have that connection with their audiences, you know, even face-to-face. You love to have questions and answers and wherever those book openings and premieres are. she's She's very personable diane and that's why people love to read her i think as well
1: i think we're just about running out of time but there's a couple things that i just wanted to tie in at the end if you can recap your current latest book that is actually on the shelf the next book that's coming out in early 23 and where people if they wanted to get some instruction from you if that would Ah. be helpful Oh, those
2: are my three favorite questions. Thank you. (laughs) Um, My current book, which is just out, is in hardcover now, and just out like two days ago in that beautiful trade paperback, so if people are traveling again, easy to carry, called Her Perfect Life, which is about sisters, betrayal, guilt, fame, and revenge, just what we were talking about, and celebrity. That's called Her Perfect Life. Um, My new book Uh, which comes out in January of 2023, is called The House Guest. Please look for that. Um, It is sort of um, when there's a contentious divorce, one spouse gets all the friends. And what does the other one get? If they're smart, they get the benefits. So you can't always get what you want,
1: but sometimes you get what you deserve. <laughs>
0: that,
1: is, that is the house guest. I think that's a uh, Rolling Stone song, isn't it? <laughs> you get, it what, you yeah. Yeah, you, get you, you, what you need. Yeah, get it, it You get what you deserve. It
0: takes a good slug line like that to get everybody interested. You're very good at that. You're very good at those short little pithy uh, summaries. Oh. Excellent. I love it. I love it.
1: And you can
2: find my you can find my teaching schedule and all of my events, all my personal and, and online events, of which there are many, many, many Zoom events, uh, on my website, HankphilippyRyan.com. Two
0: L's, two Ps in Philippi. Just remember that, Diane. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. and the,
2: the other the other line for the house guest that I'm working on is um, money changes everything. That's what friends are for. Ah, so see. we'll see.
1: She's <laughs> and I love that you're called Hank. I think that's so cool. It's just like awesome. Like
0: you like that? Yeah, I no, do. I do too. It's just
1: such a great name, <laughs> Hank Felipe Ryan. Ah, uh, thank you. Well, this was delightful, and I know that you're so busy, and you were gracious to accept our invitation. And we're we're just I'm over the moon. This is great. I can't wait to read one of your books.
0: We're all fourteen. Thank you.
1: That's exactly. (laughs) Thanks, Hank. Well, I,
2: I have loved this. You two are such rock stars, and what an honor to be with you today. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you. This is Diane Godfrey. This podcast is meant for entertainment purposes only. If you need legal representation, please consult an attorney. I do not have a law degree. Over the years, many people have contacted me seeking legal advice. I am not qualified to dispense any legal advice.
0: Before we close the courtroom door on this podcast, we remind you that All Rise with Diane Godfrey is available on all podcast platforms. We invite you to subscribe, download, rate, and review this podcast. You've been listening to All Rise with Diane Godfrey. True stories from inside the courthouse from the lady who wrote everything down. Case dismissed.